All right, let's settle down. Well, uh, a very warm welcome again um, to you to Revelation Church. My name's Rich. Uh, I'm one of the guys that helped lead the church here. Um, it's great to have um, so many visitors with us. Um, I'm just surprised looking around at how many faces I don't know. Um, but it's lovely to have you with us. Um, you're very welcome. Um, and I hope that this afternoon you'll be blessed uh, by God's word and as he, as he speaks to you um, by his Holy Spirit. So, um, I want to ask you a question. Um, when was the last time you gave something in secret? And I don't mean as if something got stolen and you just chose uh, to kind of release it, as it were, because you didn't know where it was anymore. Um, I mean you actually actively and consciously thought, you know what, I'm going to give somebody something and I'm going to do it secretly. I'm going to do it so that they don't know who it is who's giving it to them. Well, if you'd like to turn to Matthew 6, that's where we're going to uh, spend our time this afternoon. Um, as a church, we're working through a series um, in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it begins in Matthew 5, where um, Jesus is talking about the fundamentals of what it is to be a Christian. Um, and so he has these statements um, about what a Christian is. And it's only after that that he goes on to explain what it is that Christians do. Um, if you're looking for Matthew, it's at the beginning of the New Testament. Um, so a bit of context to Matthew 6 that we're going to be looking at today. Um, well, Ma Jesus has gone up onto a mountain so that he can speak to a whole host of people that have gathered to hear him speak. Um, and it, it, as, as I said just now, that he begins by, by telling them what it is that a Christian is by telling them exactly what it is that, as Christians, we are supposed to be. And then he's gone on and he's started to list certain things that they're supposed to do as Christians. And, you see, it's fundamental that we get, that we get it that way round. Because, you see, if we understand who we are as Christians, rather than what we're, we're Christians by what we do, then we get out of this mentality of kind of ticking boxes. Because, you see, it's so easy as Christians to think, okay, well, I've, I've prayed today, I've read my Bible today, and we just tick some boxes. But the reality is that as Christians, God has fundamentally changed who we are. And actually, today's message is actually quite highly instructive. Um, so it would be easy to take away some sort of um, morality or good principles for your life. But if that's all you walk away with is, is a new way to do things, then I would argue that fundamentally you're not addressing the issue. Um, today, um, God can deal with your heart. God needs to transform your heart. When he transforms your heart, then, we can, then, 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 then as Christians, we begin to act differently. We begin to work out our lives differently. John 1 says that, um, John 1 verse 12 says, But to all who was, did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so it's not about what we do today. It's about accepting Jesus as our Lord. And if we accept Jesus as our Lord, then the things we do change. The way we live our lives changes. You see, if we don't get that right, then what we're trying to do is just stick a plaster over something when we've actually really got a heart condition. And the heart's got to come out. It needs transplanting. It's got to be removed. And the Bible talks about a heart of stone being removed and a heart of flesh being put in. A heart of flesh that now beats with the life of God within us. So if you're a, if you're a believer here today, then that change has already occurred. You've already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, and now your heart beats for him. And you, the grace that he's given you now permeates every area of your life, whatever you're involved with. So what I want to challenge you today is that if you're challenged by the message, 
Don't try and wriggle out of it. Don't try and excuse away um, something. Actually, humbly come to the Word of God. And if this is true, say, well, then my life has got to come under this teaching. My life has got to be subject to the instruction that Jesus has given us here in Scripture. And so let's turn to Matthew 6. We're going to be starting, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6, 1 to 4, um, the secret life of giving. The actor Michael Wilding was once asked if actors had any traits which set them apart from other human beings. Without a doubt, he replied, you can pick out actors by the glazed look that comes into their eyes when the conversation wanders away from themselves. It's amusing and it's quite an interesting observation that Mr Wilding makes. But it's not just actors, though, is it, who grave attention. Um, we're surrounded by men and women in our culture who, who seek approval of others, who want to perform better and be better. Um, in contrast, I have some friends um, who aren't so concerned about the approval of others. And on occasions, they've left ridiculous tips in restaurants and then try and run out. And sometimes it's even more than the meal's worth. And often I picture in my mind, you know, a waiter coming back and he's kind of got, you know, double tip or whatever. And he's like, oh, I don't really know what to do. Like, who, where are these people to thank? I've got to thank. Like, what do I do with it? Um, and it's a scale, isn't it? That we have two extremes. We have one where people are so dependent on the approval of others. And then right at the other end of the spectrum, it's kind of people are just almost flippant about opinions. And I would suspect that somewhere, we, we sit somewhere in the middle of that. Um, and this afternoon, I want to, want to challenge you that actually the only approval we should be seeking is from God. And ultimately, that is fundamentally what we should be about as Christians. So Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Lord, I pray that this afternoon your word would pierce our hearts. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active and that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And we pray that this afternoon your word would pierce us, Lord, that you would challenge us, you would convict us, that we would, um, Lord, be yours. We would be solely yours, Lord. We would be given to you, Lord, that we would give ourselves to you, Lord. We pray that your word would pierce our hearts, challenge us, Lord, that we would be changed for your glory, Lord, that your name would be lifted high, Lord, that you would receive all the glory from our lives, all the worship, Lord, would be yours. Amen. So these verses, um, one to four, set a precedent. And in fact, the first verse gives us just a highlight. The first verse just details what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Um, so verse one, if you like, sets up a principle. Um, and then we're given three different examples. Um, we're given this, this example of giving that we're going to be looking at today. Um, and then that's followed by an example of prayer. And then followed then again by fasting. So this week we're going to be looking in the first few verses, um, one to four, and we're going to be looking at giving. So there's, there's, there's two ways, if you like. It's much like a driving test. The first verse, if you like, is our theory. Um, and the, the second three verses are our practical, uh, where we really get to the nitty-gritty and start to work it out in our lives. Um, there's three elements to it. There's the righteousness, the recognition, and the reward that we need to look at. Um, and we're going to unpack that as we look at the verses together. So verse 1, 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. You see, in order to understand this warning, because we're given a warning here, it starts with beware of practicing your righteousness. To understand this warning, we must understand what it means to practice our righteousness and then why we should be careful of doing that before other people. So you see, righteousness, we often think of it a bit like um, doing, just doing good things. So we do lots of good things and somebody labels us righteous, and there it is. The reality is that actually righteousness is about a right relationship. Righteousness is about a right relationship with God. You see, here's the problem. The first century Jews that Jesus is talking to here in Matthew 6, they would have understood righteousness in terms of what we called the law. So the law in the Old Testament was given to a guy called Moses. And, and basically what the, law, what the law was, was you kept this law um, and therefore you became righteous. And you can kind of sense the irony because if these people don't have a right relationship with God because of the sin that they've committed, then you can think Jesus is kind of saying, well, you know, don't beware of practicing your righteousness, but they're not really righteous because they haven't kept the law. So he's kind of saying, beware of keeping righteousness that you haven't actually done before other people. And so what's going on? Well, these people were looking for recognition, weren't they? They were looking for some sort of recognition to be seen by others. But you see, Jesus came to bring an alternative route to righteousness. Jesus lived a life in complete obedience to the law. And at the cross, he took the punishment for our sin. And he died in our place. So that by trusting in his perfect sacrifice, we can receive his righteousness. You see, at the point of us trusting in the cross and putting our faith in the cross then our sin becomes his, and his righteousness becomes ours. There's an exchange that goes on. So practicing your righteousness for the hearers would have meant doing the things that are required in the law and keeping a list, a checklist, and living in complete obedience and submission to that law. But for us as Christians, it means we're already made righteous through Jesus' death on the cross. And now we live out as a response to God making us righteous. But we see that it's basically act of righteousness of doing the things that honour God. So let's move on to the recognition. Verse 1, before other people in order to be seen by them. Some of you will have been avidly following this, this series um, on the Sermon on the Mount. And some of you will ask yourselves, well, Matthew 5, verse 16, there's a verse there, isn't there? What does it say? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now that seems to be a, quite a contrast to this verse that we're looking at today. Um, Jesus seems on the one hand um, to be saying in Matthew 5, practice your deeds before ev everybody else so that they can see you and um, they can give glory to God through what you do. And here he seems to be saying, no, 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 do, do, do them in secret. Don't, you don't want to be seen by anybody else. Um, so what's going on? Well, what he's saying is, what he's saying, what he's saying is here we've got the contrast, haven't we? So he's saying this is in the contrast of giving glory to God, but here in in chapter six, what we see is actually it's about our motivation. If what we're doing is to be seen by others, then 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 we've got an issue, and we need to address something, don't we? You see, it's, a, it's, 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 it's about our motivation. Are we prepared to be seen by others or are we prepared to be seen by God? You see, 
If we're prepared to be seen by others and get recognition from them, then it's effectively idolatry. Now, idolatry is, is, a, is, a, idolatry is all about priorities. So when you set up your priorities, if God, God is our priority as believers, but very often what happens is other priorities tend to creep in and they seek to replace God in that, pla- in that priority place. Um, and that is effectively idolatry, where we give ourselves to something else. And in this verse, we can see that it's the friend's opinions, isn't it? That if we give ourselves to what other people think of us, of how they view our lives, um, then it's an act of idolatry. So how can we find out if we have any idols? Well, what motivates you? What drives you? Let's be totally honest with ourselves. And then ask maybe a close friend in the church and ask them and just say, do you have any concerns? Do you think I'm living for anything other than God? You may have to brace yourself for the answer, especially if they're, good, they're a good friend and they're honest with you. But Jesus here is warning against seeking man's approval, living in order to be seen by them. He wants us to live before God and him alone. He doesn't want our lives to be centred around anything else. You see, there is a way that is right and honours God with worship, but there is a way that is not good and is idolatry. So our third R, the reward. In verse 1, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, if you live in order to be seen by others, you receive a reward from them, but not from God. If you live before God, you receive a reward from God, and maybe others. I'll, I'll, I'll say that again. If you live in order to be seen by others, you receive a reward from them, but not from God. If you live before God, you receive a reward from God, and maybe others. Let me give you an example of this from the life of Jesus. And this is how, this is how Paul here instructs us to live with this mindset um, from Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted, on, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus was completely preoccupied with bringing glory to God. He wasn't concerned with receiving praise from others or from other people, um, and eventually that's why they crucified him. You see, Jesus knew what he was called to, and and his only motivation was to give glory to God. Jesus became a man, we read in John 1, that the word became flesh. He lived the perfect life that we never could. He died on the cross as a punishment for our sin, and he rose again, overcoming death. But you see, he shouldn't have died because he was perfect. And and death was a punishment for sin. And yet, at the cross, you see, Jesus makes the great exchange. He gave his righteousness and took on our sin. So the wonder is why? Why did God do this for me? Well, we read in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because he loves us, because he wants a relationship with us where we worship him and give him glory. 
Okay, so back to Philippians 2. What was the reward that Jesus, being fully man and fully God, received? Well, verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus, being fully God, was exalted and given the name that is above every name. Jesus is now glorified and receives worship and glory because he's worthy. You see, Jesus could have chosen the praise of man and received the reward from them. He could have sought man's approval and become puffed up and full of pride and idolatry, but he didn't. But rather, he set his face like flint. He persevered, and we read in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of, at the, right hand of the throne of God. So what about us? Either we receive reward from man or God. The reward from man fuels pride, but the reward from God fuels his glory. So, okay, so let's move on to look at the practice of this. So verses 2 to 4. Jesus brings the truth of this principle right home for us. He gives us the example of giving to the needy. Um, he gives us a wrong way and a right way. Um, and we'll look at them in turn. Um, and we'll look at them, well, we'll look at them together as we go through. Um, so from verse 2, I'll read it again. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So the righteousness. You see, to give to the needy was an act of righteousness. In the Old Testament law, it was an act of righteousness, um, and they were commanded to care for the poor. So into the law were written laws about caring for the poor. There was the year of Jubilee, where all debts were erased. Um, There were laws around tithing, where you gave 10%, primarily for the Levites, but also to care for the poor as well in the community. There were laws around harvesting, how you harvested your fields, so you left corners um, for the poor and the destitute to come and gather food for themselves. And so we can see that in the law, giving to the, giving, to the, giving to the needy was an act of righteousness. But what about us? We don't live under the law, do we? Do we still have to care for the poor and give to the needy? Yeah, 100% we do. Jesus said when, not if you give. He never forbids giving to the poor. But since we're not under the law, it's not a matter of conscience now. Um, the new, Sorry. Now, now that we're not under the law, it's not a matter of doing the right thing. It, now we get the opportunity to give to the poor. We get an opportunity to live out of that right relationship and out of the overflow of our heart and all that God's given to us, we get to give to the needy. A few verses, Hebrews 13, verse 16. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. James 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Galatians 2 verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. You see, as Christians, we're to remember the poor. It's an act of righteousness to give to the needy, to give out of all that God has blessed us with and to give to those around us. So the recognition 
there's a direct contrast in, in uh, practically how we give that Jesus gives us in these verses. Either, like the first group of people, we sound a trumpet and blow our own horn, or we do it in secretly, and our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. The first guys find someone in need, and uh, maybe they're on their way to church, and they're wandering down the street, and they bump into a needy person. I look at this person, this person's in need, I've got an idea, I'm going to feed them, I'm going to do something for them, I'm going to help them in some way, um, and they announce it, and all of those around them know what they're doing, um, and, they, and they, oh, well, that's a very noble thing that you've done, well done, and maybe they get to church, and the first thing they say is, you'll never guess what's happened to me, I was down by Sainsbury's on Chalk Farm Road, and I gave somebody a sandwich, aren't I fantastic, and, you know, we give them a clap, pat them on the back, or whatever. That's the first bunch of people. But what do the second bunch of people do? The second guys, they're wandering down the road and then this happens. Did you see it? What happened? Nothing. You didn't even notice it. Why didn't you notice it? Well, because it was just so natural. It was just so honouring. They saw somebody in need and they just met the need. And it was just almost, it was almost just out of an overflow, just almost, almost casually... And yet they met the need. They saw the need and they met it. They gave. Um, and yet nobody around them knew. They didn't get to church. They didn't blab about it. Nobody else knew. The only person that knew was the person that received and the person that gave. But more importantly, God knew. God saw the act. God saw what they were doing. So as a church, we've set up a fund called 245. Um, this is a fund to help those in the church in need. If you're a member of the church, then you can speak to your gospel community leader um, or maybe your old TENS leader um, if you are struggling because um, we want to help you and that fund is there. I want to make that available to you. Um, but how did it start? Well, it started because we have one or two people in the church who just said, you know what, I, I find that I've got extra. I don't need um, this extra. Um, I want to bless people. I don't necessarily want them to know it was me. Um, I want you to. Do, I want to do it um, in a, in a way that honours God. I want to do it in a way that honours God, and so and so we know in the needs um, have apportioned that money correctly, and that's that's helped and served a lot of people within the church. But it started from just a couple of people saying, "Do you know what? I want to help somebody, but I want to do it in secret." I've often had the privilege of being the steward of secret giving, handing unmarked envelopes with sometimes hundreds of pounds in it to people. Um, I can remember one time uh, a friend of mine actually literally broke down when I gave her the envelope and she's saying, she's saying oh, you, you know, she, she didn't know how to thank me and I was like, well, it wasn't me. I haven't got a clue what's going on. You know, I had no idea what was in the envelope and it was just amazing. And I'm so excited. And do you know what? I want to see, I, I so want to see more of that as a practice. I want to hear of God's miraculous provision time and time again from anonymous sources all over the place. Where giving in secret blesses people. Where it meets needs. Where God provides miraculously in situations. So it says in verse 3, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, 1 Corinthians teaches us that as a church, we are the body of Christ. What does that mean? That means maybe somebody over this side, when they give, the person that receives it over here hasn't got a clue where it's come from. That's what it looks like. That you don't, like giving is just done in secret. So let's give to those in need. Let's give to those that we meet in need. But let's do it in a way that glorifies God and it doesn't lead to idolatry. 
Let's not sound trumpets before us. Let's not draw attention to ourselves. Let's give secretly without our left hand knowing what our right hand is doing. So finally, what reward did we receive? Let's look at the reward. The first group, Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What reward did these people receive? Well, they achieved all that they set out for, the approval of men. They've exchanged the priority of God with the priority of man. They've fallen into idolatry. The Bible says in Romans 1, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They've made the exchange. They've bought into the lie, their idolatry of praise from others. Instead of an act of righteousness, it's now an act of idolatry. So what do we receive from God? For verse 4 tells us, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, if those who do righteous things to be seen by others receive praise from man, then those who do them in secret receive praise from God. Praise from God. That sounds like a bit of a funny term, doesn't it? Why should God praise us? But praise literally means to express warm approval or admiration of. It's different from worship, but often in, in our kind of churches, we often mesh the two together, but it's a different thing. So when our giving is done in secret, what does God do? God sees and he says, you know what, I love that. When you met that person, when you blessed that person, that brought, I loved that. That warmed my heart. I loved it. You're still not sure that we receive praise from God? Well, John 5 verse 44 says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? You see, Jesus goes a step further and says, your glory from one another, it kind of blinds you to receiving glory from God. It's kind of, you, you know, you want to be, you, you want to receive praise, you want to hear the well done of God. It's an exercise of faith, isn't it? Because we don't audibly hear a voice from God that says, that says, that was great, I loved it. Although sometimes we might, I'm not ruling that out. We don't always know the affection of God towards us or what that necessarily looks like or results in our life but we are sure of what we hope for and what we do not see. We have faith. We believe in faith. See, there will come a day when the reward from God will be loud and clear. As he says to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. The reward from man is superficial and temporary. The reward from God is rich and lasts for eternity. So if you're not a believer here today, I would simply say this. That through Jesus' death on the cross for your sin and through his resurrection, you can know the weight of your sin dealt with at the cross and you raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Your life is transformed. It looks different. I would invite you to accept him as the priority of your worship, that everything else will come secondary to him. All of the reason that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is worthy of your praise. He's worthy of you surrendering your life to him as an act of worship. If you'd like to do that, the Bible says that we must repent of our sin. That's turn away, literally turn away from our sin. We're going we're gonna to sing a few more songs in a minute if the band want to come up. Um, I would invite you, if, that, if, if you did want to do that, then do that as we're singing. Um, we're going to take bread and wine as well. Um, and it, that's a great way to, as an act of faith to say, do you know what? I'm prioritizing God over everything. 
I'm prioritizing God over my job, over my family, over my life, over the approval of others. I'm prioritizing God. For the rest of us, I'd like to leave us with just one simple challenge today. Think of somebody that you know in need. For some of you, it may be that you have to go and find somebody. Maybe that you have to go do some digging, make some new friends, and find somebody in need. And then give yourself to that person. And think over the next week or so, how can you give something to them that will bless them? It may be financial, it may be something else, but I, I would just actively encourage you to do that. Make a statement and say, do you know what, as a result of today, my life is going to look different. I'm going to act different in response to what God has done. And, and as we do that, let's be expectant of God's reward, of his approval of us, to know that, that his, his, the affirmation of his love upon us. So if you want to stand, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are here by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would come. Lord, I pray that you would uh, stir our hearts. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would, Lord, we would see, see giving to the needy, Lord, as not as um, some arbitrary thing, Lord, but it would be a joy to do, Lord, that as we read in your word, Lord Jesus, it would just be an overflow, Lord, out of the abundance of our hearts, Lord. We would just love to give. Lord, that we would give for your glory. Lord Jesus, that you would be our priority. Lord, that you would take the first place. Lord, that above everything else, Lord, you would be the highest one. Lord, you would be the one that we speak the highest of. Lord, that you would be the King of kings and Lord of lords over our life. Amen.